2: well hey hi welcome back happy friday back at it again
3: you know what to people who listen to this Mm. it probably sounds like we're trapped in your phone or trapped in the cloud or something you know like do we even exist in the real world it was just i saw somebody posted a picture of you know the Shining, right? You've seen the Shining. Okay, yeah. Wait, okay is not a yes.
2: No, okay yes. is
3: like I'm, I know what the Shining is. Okay, we almost, I'm familiar. We almost ended this podcast forever if you haven't <laughs> seen the Shining. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a deal breaker, dude. That's a deal okay. breaker. I want you to know that. Anyway, but the po- you know, the picture, the picture at the end, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Where they zoom in? Do you know what I'm going? Oh, uh, I think you're just agreeing with me, and I don't think you know what it is. Anyway, it was the hundredth anniversary of that party of of at the very end of The Shining, you know, and you know Jack Torrance t- trapped in the hotel. I thought people none of this is landing with you because I'm pretty sure you're lying to me about <laughs> seeing The Shining.
2: I don't think I've actually seen it all the way through. God I'm not gonna lie. Damn this it. is it. This is it. Fuck. <laughs> I'm familiar, yeah. I knew yeah. it.
3: I knew it. I could see you were lying. I knew you it.
2: Said, you said you are going to end the podcast. I panicked.
3: Yeah, and it's over. And that's it. And that's We're it. ending the podcast. <laughs> Look, The Shining is one of those movies you have to see. You know like how they say people, which by the way, I'm not, and this is all a joke. I don't care if you've seen The Shining or not. I kind of do care. But I'm not going to shame you for it. He definitely cares.
2: He will. But
3: one thing I don't like is when people do exactly what I'm doing, which is shaming people for not seeing a movie, especially Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? I, f- I feel like people shame people for not seeing Star Wars, which is dumb. Don't do that. And I, you know what? I'm sorry I'm shaming you for not seeing The Shining. So
2: so doing exactly what people do when you haven't seen a movie, that's my least my least favorite thing is, is the reaction of, uh, you know, like, oh, you haven't seen this? Oh? Oh, you haven't?
3: And you know what? Let me just take a step back. To you and our listeners, I'm sorry for literally being the example of the thing I hate. <laughs>
2: of the exact
3: but what? But it got me thinking, which is, what are some video games that are like Star Wars, where people are oh. like, oh, you haven't played this?
2: Oh, gosh. I remember having a conversation with somebody where they entrusted me with the fact that they had never played a single Zelda game okay whatsoever
3: that's crazy there's
2: so what, many of them. what What so any any of them any of them NES SNES n64 newer what not a single Zelda game and that again I hate being that person of like right. what but I had to be because that again your reaction that seems insane right
3: I just don't understand because there's so many. Like, you could trip and turn on pretty much any video game system by accident, and then you would be statistically probably playing a Zelda or Mario game at that point. Right? You know what I get a lot is, and a lot of our guests have kind of brought this game up, but it's interesting because this game is a bit obscure, I would say, but I I will say when people mention it and you haven't played it, they're like, oh, is Shadow of the Colossus. Okay. And that feels like a game, not on the Star Wars shaming level, but definitely like, I feel like, and I've played it as you have too, right? You played it. No, I haven't. Okay. Okay.
2: See, look at this chill reaction. Look at the chill reaction. Well, I don't care. Now. No, no, I, I, I don't.
3: I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about it. But, but let me ask you a question. As somebody who hasn't played it, do right. you feel like when people ask you and you say, I haven't played Shadow of the Classes, that they're, that they're judging you and looking down on you?
2: For sure, but I I do feel like there are other games that are almost on Star Wars level that I get way more shame for. Okay. Like The Last of Us. Um, I got yeah. that for yeah. so long to the point that I did play it. And you know what? <laughs> I, <laughs> I got bullied so, into it. <laughs> I did get bullied into it. And I'm so glad that I did. So maybe sometimes it's for the betterment. Okay.
3: But, I, but the other thing I'll say is I think generally, I feel like there's less of that shaming in the video game world because video games in many ways are not a group activity. They're much more of a singular experience.
2: Uh, You know, I would say yes and no, because I feel like there's a lot of uh, like gatekeepy people in a sense Mm. of like, oh, oh, you haven't? Oh, you haven't played the kind of a situation?
3: I guess they're, yeah. And I guess they're pretentious pricks with every art form. Everywhere. Every form of media. And
2: I would rather people not feel shamed about not playing a game and have them actually be excited to play it. Because I feel like when I do get bullied, unlike The Last of Us, I I feel such a resistance to playing it. And I just, I want nothing to do with it because people are, are acting so pretentious about it. But if people are welcoming like, oh, you should definitely check this out and more of a supporting avenue, I'm more apt to play it. I will say extremely yeah. unlike The Last of Us, which I got bullied from every single angle by multiple people. And then I was beaten into submission to play it. And then I loved it. So, you know, sometimes it works both ways.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think with games, for me, it's less bullying and more just, ah, Like, it's like disappointment yeah. and like, oh, you're missing out on something fun versus like, Aww. you must see Star Wars. Mortal Kombat! You know, like that kind of thing. So Different energy. Different energy. But I have to say... Uh, you know, our guest today. We want to talk about things that people should see and experience. This guy has done some of my favorite movies, uh, and it was absolutely a blast to talk to him. I mean, look—he's filmmaker, actor, uh, a writer, comedian. Uh, 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 he's known for Clerks. He's—he's he's got a new show, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which we saw. They let us see ahead of time, so and it was sick. It's so awesome. Uh, and Masters of the Universe Revelation is currently streaming on Netflix. Uh, and I don't know, this was this was a thrill for, for me. Well, you know, wasn't it cool to talk to this guy?
2: This was absolutely incredible, especially coming off of seeing Masters of the Universe Revelation. Yeah. And I am resisting every piece in my body to say, oh, you haven't seen Clerks? Oh, you haven't seen Mallrats?
3: <laughs> if you haven't guessed, Already, please welcome the one, the only Mr. Kevin Smith.
2: I want to just dive right in because there's so much to talk about. You know, you're, of course, known for clerks and for making something outside of the box that really resonated with people um, but are there games that you've played uh, in your time that you think have really done something different, or something that has been really outside of the box that has made you say like, "Well, shit, this is this is different. Like, this is cool."
0: I mean, historically speaking, well, I was there for the advent of everything, kids. Like, yeah. I saw it. I saw it happen. I, my first uh, gaming system was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, pre-owned, yes. and it had twenty games cartridges came with it. How I came into possession of it was um, in the newspaper back in those days, they had the want ads. I don't know if they still do it anymore. Kind of like Craigslist where people sell shit and whatnot. So my dad was looking through the want ads. I wanted, like, you know, I was always bugging him. Please, can we get an Atari 2600? Please, I just want to play Pac-Man at home. Everybody I know has one and stuff, except John Kovac, who has television. But please, <laughs> please, 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 can I get one? So finally, you know, we they had three kids to raise, and we were kind of poor. But my father found in the want ads... Somebody was selling a Atari 2600 and 20 games for a very reasonable price. And so this being the early 80s, um, we got in a car and drove 45 minutes out to Freehold Township and uh, went to this farmhouse where we knocked on the door as a family. like Because buying a video game unit... Was a big deal, yeah. Mind you, my parents were progressive. We had had a video game unit in the house prior to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, but it was something my mom bought on sale, um, like at two guys when apparently they didn't work out. It was a triangular system. One ha- one end had a gun in it because there was a shooting game. One end had a steering wheel on it and a gear <laughs> shift, and the other end had pong. Uh, Turn turn knobs on it. That looked grosser than I meant. What? But to mom, turn knobs <laughs> on it and stuff. So we had had that, and the cartridges were like triangular and shit. I forget the name of the die. But this 2600, this is the one that it was like, please, this will make me normal like everybody else. So the whole family, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and me go to this farmhouse, park, knock on the door. Farm uh, father opens the door, brings us into the house. Three kids. Like roughly my age, you know, and I was like early, you know, aughts, so eleven, twelve, sitting on the couch, looking so fucking broken, so sad, as if they just found out like a a pet animal had died, and so my dad and the farmer dad talked money and stuff like that, and then I, you know, was curious, naturally curious, so I said to one of the kids, I was like. Why don't you want this anymore? And they were like, we do. He's selling it because, and they pointed to the brother because he got an F in history. (gasps) And so suddenly I was like, oh my God, I'm complicit in the misery of another child. (laughs) (laughs) Something you never want to experience as a kid. As a kid, you know, it's always like us versus the fucking adults and shit. Solidarity. But I wanted that video game system real fucking (laughs) bad. So uh, rather than be like, you know, let's get out of here, which I think my parents would have killed me. Like, we came all the way here. (laughs) And my brother and sister would have been like, fuck whatever he says. We're getting this fucking game. But I didn't speak up. I I was just like, you know, shrugged, gave him the sucks to be you face. (laughs) And then uh, we went home and I enjoyed the Atari 2600 for the next four years or whatever. (laughs) I drove past that house periodically when I went out to the Freehold Raceway Mall. And, you know, I'm a writer, so, of course, you, you know, you write the rest of the history of that family and what happened and how it dissolved, uh, you know, perhaps in mayhem and murder (laughs) based on the cruel punishment of their Atari being sold for a lone F in history. Like, oh, my God. So my first, uh, my Atari 2600 came with blood on its on its <laughs> joystick. man. So I was there for the beginning. Uh, you know, I remember when just when I got my Atari 2600 and I was like, finally, I'm hip. ColecoVision came out. And suddenly it was like, well, if you ain't got this, you must be poor. You must have bought your gaming system from some farm family. I was like, <laughs> I did. So I saw the advent of all that. Um, the Sega Genesis, I spent a lot of time with that system playing not the games that most people associate with it, like um I I would imagine Sonic perhaps or something like that. What were
2: your top hits?
0: My game that I played over and over and over again was a Rocky and Bullwinkle game that I absolutely loved. I was a huge Rocky and Bullwinkle fan. And I don't know what company did it, but they built a Rocky and Bullwinkle game where I'm like, it's got every character. This is every Rocky and Bullwinkle fans, Wet Dream. I'm sure they sold one copy, and it was to me. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'd ask others to play with me, and they were like, who are these characters? Can't we just play Star Wars on the Super Nintendo? Like, I remember when I got the Super Nintendo, I never got to play it. Scott Mosier, was my producer on most of the movies I made, my co-host on Smodcast back in the day, he bought, the. I bought the system, he bought the cartridges. And so Scott, like, spent... I think it was two weeks on the floor after we shot Chasing Amy, just banging through all those Super Nintendo Star oh. Wars games, Star Wars Empire, just bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and he was so good at it that, like, I abandoned. I couldn't fucking join. I never oh. caught up to him and stuff. So the next gaming system that I bought and enjoyed, but I was really alone in the world, was the Sega Saturn. Um, I was like, this is the fucking future, because I loved Virtual Fighter in the video arcade, in the actual arcade. So they had this incredible fucking Virtua Fighter simulation. And uh, I loved it to death, but uh, man, oh man. It, it, I think me and eight other people bought the Sega Saturn. <laughs> uh, but it, for me, it was revolutionary. I, I don't know if it changed the video gaming industry or anything like that, but like, those graphics to me, like, I don't know, look like the beginning of something to some yeah. large degree. Does anybody ever talk about the Sega Saturn in your world? Uh
2: Not too often, but I feel like it's yeah. definitely appreciated. It was definitely a stepping stone. you yeah. know it's all, uh, to everything the is all PlayStation
0: yeah. and Xbox yeah. and stuff, but they had their they were there for a moment. they were the Betamax mm-hmm. of video game yeah. systems. They had a moment, one glorious moment, and then higher tech replaced them instantly.
3: I have uh, fond memories of the Magnavox Odyssey. which That's uh, the
0: one! I was just ah,
3: looking it up.
0: There we go. I was just pulling up going like, what the fuck is the name of that? The <laughs> Magnavox Odyssey. My parents yeah, got it out of two guys in New Jersey in Middletown. Um, you know, when one of those like, let's sell off the stock nobody sure, wanted. Sure. So that's the only reason we got it. But I didn't care because like, you could literally play Pong on your TV for the first yeah. time. And then the, you know, the driving game, all, all three of the games were fucking astounding. And it was so fresh, the technology that even my parents were involved. You know, like they didn't wow. follow me into computers later on until I got my old man like web TV or some such shit. But I remember when we got that Magnavox Odyssey sitting around, like I have happy memories of, of childhood sitting around with my brother, sister and mom and dad and playing the shooting game and the driving game and everybody getting to take a turn and being impatient, waiting for your turn and stuff again, no internet back then, no cable TV. So like the video game and, and no VCR at that point either. So the video game was kind of the first thing that turned the TV into something else. Yeah. Like something you could control rather than just being shown something on TV over and over again. Suddenly you could control what was on the screen.
2: Did it have those uh, those screens that you put over uh, your TV screen and it had the game on it? Like similar to, do you remember the Vectrex?
0: I remember, but this did not do this. This was oh. literally the same setup principle of the like Atari 2600. You screwed those things onto the UHF or the VHF screws on the back and then did a switch over to the other. But I remember my friend had that one where you put a screen in front yeah. of your screen, I think that was like pre even Magnavox Odyssey.
2: That was early. That was really yeah. early.
0: Do you remember Pix? Do you remember TV picks? Were you guys either? Were you East Coast
3: TV? I was Mich.
0: I'm Michigan. So um, so WPIX was like the local syndicated station. On the East Coast. In New Jersey, you didn't really have your own stations. We had one like WOR out of Secaucus, but the rest of the stations you got out of Manhattan, out of New York. But PIX had this game called TV Picks that they would run between the cartoons or between the kids' programming on weekdays. And it used an Intellivision uh, game. I want Their version of Space Invaders, I forget what they called it, but basically it had a scope in the game And ships would randomly – it was – the game was kind of a cross between asteroids and space invaders. And these ships would loop and sometimes pass through your eyesight, and then you would blast them. And, of course, the Intellivision controller was, like, the absolute worst. It was a flat, (laughs) like, computer keypad. looked like a calculator, and had a little disc on it, a little dial disc on it, which was actually kind of like proto-iPod, the more I think about it. So this game they used for TV picks, and there was a host who you wouldn't see – they just had the graphic of the star field up on the screen. So you call the one number, and then they'd answer. And if you got to play the game, they put you on the air. They're like, this is Billy from Highlands, New Jersey. Billy, you ready to play TV picks? And he was like, yeah. And you were playing for like McDonald's gift certificates or Toys R Us gift certificates or something like that. So what they would do was you would watch the video game on your TV because you're live. Like they're doing this live Whoa. between the programs. So while whenever the the you know ship is about to go through the viewfinder for you to instead of firing because you have no joystick, you would say picks into your phone, and then the guy yeah. on the other side or girl they would fire for you. Oh my god! Fascinating. Oh, so that's it incredible. Took, it took a couple months of this game before kids picked up on like, if I say picks, it's gonna happen like a second later. So I'm going to miss it. So, you know, they realized there's a bit of a lag time, right? Cause otherwise kids could get on and be like, go fuck yourself picks. So they had <laughs> yeah. to be able to, to bleep them and shit. So once they realized that there was a time delay, like you saw a whole generation of kids realize the only way to win this game was to go rapid fire. So they would be like, "Are you oh ready?" And the kids would go like, "Yes." And then they, you would hear the kids go, Presiding And then they put 30 seconds on the clock, and then you' just hear the kids go, "Pix,,,,, six six." And they were just the person playing the game is just mashing the button. And um, those were the winners, man. And they discontinued it. I don't think it was because of that, but I don't think that helped. Cause they gave out so many fucking prizes because what every kid was a dead eye. As long as you're just spraying fucking lasers <laughs> everywhere, you're going to hit, man. So I watched like video games really seep into the consciousness. And then I jumped off to go like make clerks and stuff like that, just as things were turning first person. So first person games were like, you know, like Duke Nukem and shit like that. That yeah. was like where I was like, Oh, I don't, I want to see my guy. I want to see my guy running across the screen. That's a video game. What is this? And so I old manned out early the fuck on, man. Once they were like, no, man, this is a video game. The video game is it's all your perspective down. Yeah. You are the person. So, yeah, I've been there for every step of the way, man. And now it's like it's insane. Like Jason Muse lives in a constant video game. He streams his life on (laughs) Twitch where he plays constantly and whatnot. And he's making a living off of playing games. You know, something that, like, our parents were like, you can't do this. This is a waste of time. So to go back in a time machine and be like, fucking Muse is pulling down 10K <laughs> large fucking week playing video games. What are you, nuts? <laughs> <laughs> it's changed dramatically. And and I wonder now in my lifetime if we'll see it go to the place we always see it go to in sci-fi. Where yeah. people are like you know every like black mirror really fucking romanticizes this, like I'm gonna put this shit next to my temple and I'm in the game where I could like
3: it's gonna be PlayStation eight is gonna be spores, we sniff and then it's just in our in our <laughs> then brain. I'm in there. then they got I'm me, in I spores.
2: Imagine you're at an exclusive party. Across the crowded room, you spot the most stunning man. You spit-take your champagne. He keeps approaching, and
1: then he says... Your red light therapy session is now complete.
2: What just happened? You found
3: your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. New red light therapy now available. Featuring Australian gold. Hot guy not included. I gotta say, Masters of the Universe Revelation. First of all, I was a huge He-Man and Masters of the Universe fan growing up, as many of us were, as you were, I I believe, as well. I had a lot of the toys. Uh, I got the first Castle Grayskull at best in Michigan, which was before Sears. It was, you know, I was like. I remember
0: the best catalog store. (laughs) Heavens, man. That was like where you went in and you looked at the, they didn't have a showroom (laughs) as much as they had a series of catalogs, like consumers, distributors or something. An yeah. old company. Yeah. You walked in, you ordered out a catalog, and then it came down like a conveyor belt and you were like, This is the future. <laughs> and it kind of was. It was basically it was. Amazon before Amazon. Just basically all pick up.
3: Yeah, it was Amazon in a box store, which yeah. is very crazy before the internet. But so I have to say, like, you know, huge uh uh Master Universe fan. I dude, this show, they got us the episodes and we watched them. I love this show. Thank you. It is So great. And I got to say, you know, so I'm watching the first episode and, you know, we don't want to say anything about the show. All the episodes are available today, by the way. But the end of the first episode, I literally was like, holy shit, my mouth dropped open. And, man, you guys have really thread the needle on this show. I mean, congratulations. It's so great, man. truly.
0: Thank it's you. Really that great. means the world. I, I for most of the two years or eighteen months, but really like two years when when the deal started, two years that I've been working on Masters of the Universe, I kept referring to it as like adult animation. I was like, this is this is adult animation. We're growing these stories mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Then I saw, you know, Kirkman's Invincible on Amazon Prime, and I was like, "All right, we're not adult animation. <laughs> <laughs> we're still a kid show. We just yeah, happen to yeah. <laughs> have to deal with more adult themes than they did, you know, in the '80s." That was the idea. That was the vision of our boss, uh, both two of our bosses, man, uh, Ted Biaselli, who's our boss at Netflix, and Rob David, who's our boss at Mattel Television. Um, Teddy was a died-in-the-wool Motu kid, which is short for Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Biggest Motu fan in the world, still has all his toys. They're mounted on shelves, um, in, in his house and stuff. So he, when, when I met with him, his pitch on the show or what he was looking for was he goes, When I was a kid, I always thought Skeletor was about to kill He-Man. I was terrified every episode. He's like, then, I got a little older and I realized it was never going to happen. These, these two never even clash swords. Like, right. like this is a kid's show. He's like, but I always wished there was an episode where there were stakes where like you believed <laughs> that something bad could happen. So he's like, that's what I'm, I've been dreaming about my whole life. That's what we're going to do here is we're going to give them masters of the universe as they remember but we're gonna include stakes this time around. Lives can be lost. And in that world, everybody gets a little more mature. And I don't mean mature like, they're having sex. Like, not at all. (laughs) There's no sex in the world of Motu whatsoever. So going into this, Teddy was like, please, just make me believe that anything can happen. Make me believe in the stakes. And And his other directive was like, he goes, treat it like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can't do Shakespeare, but I could totally do fakespeare. And, <laughs> and there are people that pay attention to this Motu stuff very close closely, and if you get something wrong. I did an interview where I was like, I used to watch He-Man in the early 80s. And some, like, internet detective was like, it wasn't on until 1983. <laughs> Liar! And I was like, you know, not for nothing, but, like, for 25 years of my life, I referred to The Empire Strikes Back as being a 1979 film, like some shit you just spit out wrong. Sure. Add to it, I'm like a 50-year-old stoner. Do you really think I'm going (laughs) to nail the dates? Like, (laughs) in fact, I, you know, I walked in. I never even know if I could call myself a He-Man fan because I walked in as somebody who never had a single toy, but watched every single episode in the 80s because we didn't have cable TV. We didn't have like internet. You just watched what was on. So that was on after school. So I'd come home, I'd watch it. I was 13, I'd make fun of it because they never really fought and stuff like that. But I watched every single episode. So I'm steeped in the lore. I know everything. Uh, I just never got to have the toys. My parents were like, we bought you Star Wars toys. You know how much money we spent (laughs) on that? We're not doing another thing. We weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. So I got to go in, and even though I didn't have the toys, I got to play like the greatest game of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, with all the toys that they provided for. Mm-hmm. This is how these stories have held up for like 40 years. These characters have held up for 40 years. You don't need somebody coming in and be like, let me reinvent all these characters from scratch. Like that way lies ruin for us, particularly with our manifest, which was this is for the fans. And then while we were making it, we realized, look, fans first, because that's whose asses are going to be hitting seats first. But I know that no fan watches a thing alone. You know, soon when they run out of community to reach out to, people online and friends, they turn to family. So the same way that over the quarantine, my wife, who never gave a fuck about Marvel, deigned to sit through WandaVision with me, I had a blast watching WandaVision, not just because the show was amazing, but I could explain the show to a virgin who knew nothing. So I become part of the storytelling because she's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, pause. Let me tell you the entire <laughs> fucking history of this. And that yeah. makes you part of the fun. You're no longer yeah. just a spectator. But if you can share it with somebody else, if you can share it with a Motu virgin, you can share it with your kids, more importantly, oh, my God, it's this thing of joy forever. And and, and it's based on this experience that I had with my father when we went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I want to say is 1982, but I don't want to get in trouble. Um Could be 81. Now The internet's going to get you. I know, the internet's going to come for me regardless. <laughs> but uh I remember when I went to see the flick with my old man, my old man was always dad. You know, stoic dad, just like, we didn't have like the relationship that you see in the movies and TVs. He was dad, and I was one of his kids. And, you know, he did stuff with me, like take me to the movies, but... He you know, he didn't wear his heart on his sleeve. He wasn't the kind of father I was, like with my kid, where I was like, you could do anything you want in this world. I'm living proof because I made fucking clerks, and here we are. <laughs> so my dad was more pragmatic, just traditional father. The day I got to meet Don Smith, the dude who played my dad in the movies, um, was the day that we went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark because my father dropped the veneer of, my, I am your dad, that is my role, and instantly became a child again instantly became an audience member right beside me and a dude who sat next to me movie after movie and never really talked you know until the movie was done and unless he was like do you have more popcorn was excitedly pawing at my arm going like this is the kind of movie i used to go see when i was a kid they call them cliffhangers and like you'd go all saturday and then you had to go back the next week it's the same thing this is amazing and like he was pure joy. I, I you know, I, I've always loved my dad, right? But like, I fell in love with my dad that day because I was like, oh, he's relatable. He's just like me. He grew up with shit that he absolutely loved as well. He traded it all in when he became an adult and stuff. And, you know, I just went the other way in life. I was like, I just don't want to trade it in.
3: Yeah, totally. I got to say, you, you hit upon a couple things that I think are important that I want to just kind of reiterate. This is a sequel, and and it it does it's not a reinvention well it is in certain themes and things but it is really and that's something i i wasn't aware of going in and i absolutely loved and what really drew me to it and drew me into it is the fact like yeah we get to see these characters continue and it gets gnarly and first of all you did my boy trap jaw right so thank, thank you for that uh <laughs> but you know you mentioned like it's it's great for people who are fans and people who weren't fans. And I'm a huge Masters of the Universe fan. Sonia, you told me that you, what was your familiarity before you watched the show?
2: Yeah, I mean, growing up, it uh, I think it was a little bit before my time. So I definitely missed it being uh, like an integral part of my, <laughs> my, uh, my growing up. But my biggest familiarity being a, like a dumb internet dweller is... Uh, it was like the two thousand and five, like Roll video where it was He-Man doing like the, the four non-blondes yes. cover.
0: And I say, hey, <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was very I've, Teddy. Literally referenced yeah. that he was like, please don't yes. make four non-blond jokes. <laughs> but we oh, let no. one slip in. There is a, oh, not in good. the show itself, but in the one of the titles of the episodes definitely refers to to oh. uh, that song.
2: Well, myself and uh, as of right now, 185 million views on that video. I'm sure there's a lot of people who will definitely appreciate that. <laughs> but I got to that,
0: figure, man. Like, that's what I'm saying. Even people who weren't like ardently in love with the show or even watched one or two episodes or had one of the toys or none of the toys He Man and the Masters of the Universe, Skeletor, Tila, like, these characters are ingrained in pop culture mm-hmm. history. So, if you're remotely interested in pop culture, you have to intersect with it at some point, even if you didn't watch the original incarnation. For example, everybody knows the expression by the power of gray skull. Everybody knows the expression, I have the power. Whether or not you ever watch the show, mm-hmm. it's just seeped into like pop consciousness and stuff. So being able to play with characters like that, like I, Jane, and, and Bob are two characters that got to enter pop culture. But I was given a set of toys that are just steeped and dipped, in chocolate dipped, in pop culture. But I'm always interested in people who are fresh to it. So, Sonia, how was it?
2: I felt nostalgic for something that I didn't have as part of my childhood. Ugh. And I think that's that's the beauty in it.
0: Put that review on a poster. That's insanely wonderful.
2: You can quote it. You can blast that everywhere. Because that, that's 100% true. And that's what I think makes this universe so special is that it can really just transcend so many generations people who grew up with it are gonna love this and people who
0: are new to it it is it's a wonderful to be involved with characters who are so malleable so yeah it's been a lot it's been a, a blast working on it while side by side i was trying to prep for Clerks Three, which is a completely different project. Oh my god! All together, man. Different Why vibe. You, it was a yeah. real surf and turf kind of affair.
3: <laughs> I have to say, it's really interesting too because, you know, you know, obviously, very famously, you do, you filming Clerks, no money, maxing out credit cards, and. I, You know, Sonny and I were kind of talking about this before we got on with you today, but someone smarter than me said that kind of video games now are where movies were in the 30s. Oh, yeah. And we're just starting to kind of get to see the kinds of stories we can tell and the frameworks and all that stuff. So right now, there is an indie developer in their room coding this thing. You know, what what advice do you have or what did you learn kind of... Uh, through the lens of looking back at at making clerks, that maybe you could offer advice to an indie developer making their clerks, you know, indie game right now.
0: So right now, um, like, look, we we did uh, friends of mine, uh, Trevor Furman, um, and his buddy Justin, like took uh, they they reached out to us like two three years ago. They're like, hey man, can we make a Jay and Bob video game? Has anybody ever done that? And I was like, nobody's ever shown an interest whatsoever. <laughs> So they've been building for the last few years, uh Jane, Silent Bob, Chronic Blunt Punch. And while that's been being built, they built a sub game with like the folks at Spoonie Bard and, and uh, limited run games. And so they put out like a this, like what looked like, you know, an old school fucking <laughs> like kick, em, kick ass, kick and fight them game, the scrolling yeah. fighter game, very much like Street Fighter, like pr- most primitive version of Street Fighter. Um, that was absolutely uh, like a blast and, and fun to do. And I think from what I understand, like sold fairly well. So, you know, you don't need like Jay and Silent Bob to make a video game. You can literally make a video game about anything right now. And in fact, the more outside the box you are about it, the better the chance you're going to catch attention. Like everybody does fighting games. Of course, everybody does battle games and stuff, but like head games you know, that's possibly the future. Um, games that don't, or that aren't, you know, that are game-like in nature, but at the same time aren't so easily dropped in a simple box. That's how you get to kind of stand out. The only reason I stood out like years ago with clerks and, and it paved a path that I'm literally still on today is it had something a little different. It just didn't look like everything else. And ours was we had no money, so we sucked and we looked like we were shot through a glass of milk. But that <laughs> wound up being the thing that made people go like, oh, I feel bad for this movie, so I'm going to take care of it like a wounded puppy. And that literally <laughs> kickstarted my career. So it don't matter if your game looks the absolute best. It's the storytelling, not just in the game, but the storytelling, as we all know now, Behind the making of the game as well. That's how you get your shit financed. If you can't like pay for it yourself, you can't find an investor. You can literally kickstart a game, man. But people have to see the passion, the enthusiasm, more so than the skill. You don't have to be a master. Like I've been in this business nearly 30 years. I still I'm still suck at my fucking job, <laughs> but I still get to do it. Because, like, I did it that one first time, guess what? It's never going to come to you. Nobody's ever going to show up at your door and be like, hey, man, you want to make a game? You got to go to it. You And I'm not saying you got to go to it with your best. I'm saying you just have to go to it, man. And so, like, even if it sags in places, even if it doesn't look the way other games look, you never know. That could be its strength. That could be its charm, the thing that pops it over the top, the thing that gets people talking about it or whatever.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, Mr. Smith, this has been a thrill. We are almost out of time, but we love to end every interview with asking our guest uh, the games they love the most and the game they love the least. So your worst favorite game and then your most favorite game. Let's start with a game or it could go system that just... You it made you crazy. You personally just oh god, this thing. Is there anything that springs to mind?
0: Hands down, that would be in television. Oh, that uh, was quick. John Kovac has previously mentioned had it, and my cousin Butchie had it as well. So when I went to his house or his house, I got to play a lot of in television. And again, the interface was so fucking like unnecessarily complicated, (laughs) you know, it's like, they really went out of their way to be like joystick. That's for other companies. Here's the disc pad. And it was just so you couldn't, I like, I hated football in real life, but I was like, maybe I'll get into football in by way of video games. But it was so fucking difficult to control (laughs) that. I never wound up getting into even video gaming football. So I missed the entire Madden thing that would follow a decade or more later and shit. Based on the frustrations of Intellivision, they never had a fucking licensed game. They made all their shit up forever. My least favorite gaming system. My favorite oh. gaming system from childhood was ColecoVision, which I could never afford. But John Urbanski had it. I played at his house all the time. Their Donkey Kong literally looked like Donkey Kong.
2: So sick. Whereas Basically.
0: when you played it like, you know, on fucking 2600, that was the thing. Everyone loves the Atari's 2600 because it was so accessible. It was like the, starbucks of video games but the graphics like you know <laughs> fuck they were terrible they like,
2: they really love it until they play et and then they're like what have i done
0: yeah no doubt or until they play a little ColecoVision, and then they were like this is how it could be and then people started demanding like better graphics and shit
3: there we go so would you and would you say from our earlier conversation would you say that rocky and bullwinkle would be your number one game Hands
0: down. Either that or if I go deeper back, I mean, this is a boring fucking answer. But, like, when I had the Atari 2600, I cannot fucking tell you how many hours I put in on combat, Ugh. which is a very basic tank game, kids. Yeah. Yeah. So basic. But, like fun, you know, we were simple, uh, you know, had, and it had pong like elements and as much as like on some levels you could bounce that fucking missile around and shit. So I played a lot of it. I wouldn't call it my favorite, but I played a lot of it just cause it was there and shit.
2: It's still deep seated, you know, very
0: deep seated pitfall. When I was a kid was fucking huge too. And Parker brothers was like, Hey man, we got a fucking game. So I guess Parker brothers did games. Like they didn't have their own gaming system, but they had, um, Parker Brothers games, and then the other games that were like 2600 games that Atari didn't make was Activision. And Activision made Pitfall. And Pitfall was a game that you could play for a half an hour long that was kind of like prototypical for what games are now. You know, very basic graphics and shit, and very side scrolly. But there was no like three guys dead and it's over. And there was no like clear this board and go to another board it was an adventure and like every screen changed and you had to jump over shit. And there was a mythology behind it and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess you don't get to like most of the cool games people enjoy now without something like pitfall.
3: Yeah. And also like you were saying earlier, um, and it's kind of about the passion and things can be simple and still extremely fun. I still remember, you know, like the pitfall theme, dude, that was
0: incredible. And remember every time he jumped, he was like, oh, Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, Kevin Smith, thank you so much. This was such a treat. a pleasure. Everyone out there, please watch Masters of the Universe Revelation out today. Netflix, it is amazing. I mean, it's a real treat. It's really, really fun. Um, and this was a blast. Thanks, man.
0: Means the world. Thanks, kids.
3: I gotta say, this story about it, going to the farmhouse, uh, the blood on the joystick, I it makes me laugh so hard. Because as a kid, we've kind of all had that thing where it's like kid code, and you're like, "Oh no, I'm sorry, dude." But then, you know, look, man, sometimes you gotta break kid code to get, you know, it's to get cut the cutthroat uh, out there. It's cutthroat out there, man. It's cutthroat out there. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, but stick around because we'll be right back after these messages. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sonia, do you want to explain what's happening right now? People can't see you, but Jen and I can see you, and your background looks a little bit different. You want to possibly explain yourself? Um, yeah,
2: no, I, I am overseas. Uh, I was in Amsterdam for a hot second and currently uh, coming to you live from Barcelona.
3: So what, this kind of brings up a great uh, thing which is what do you do for gaming when you travel? How do you travel with games?
2: One thing I miss so, so dearly is when, you know, going to so many different conventions like E3 and PAX and a hundred other acronyms, uh, it's one thing I really, really miss is having a 3DS. Did you ever have a 3DS?
3: Yes, I did have a 3DS. The 3DS, I will say, awesome system, highly portable, really fun, that's a great travel system. Is that what you use?
2: Well, one thing I I missed about it is it used to have I don't know if you remember this, but it used to have street pass where whenever you came in close proximity to another 3DS, your me and this other person's me would kind of exchange, you know, a little wave, a little pleasantries. And then you would collect people in your me plaza and going to so many different conventions throughout the year. I had like 700 people or something stupid. And I was so, so proud of it and then they shut it down.
3: That's Black Mirror shit. That's it's Black awful. Mirror shit. Those memes were alive and they now they're not. It's that awful. That is a black that's a massacre. We need to
2: talk to Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. Dark shit Niten- happened.
3: The Nintendo massacre of 2000. 2000- what the that's crazy.
2: It's heartbreaking.
3: Street Pass was really cool. Oh, uh,
2: it was so cool. And people would have like Street Pass meetups at packs and stuff like that. So not only would you virtually meet people, but then you're meeting people in real life. And it was just it was so cool. I really, really miss that. And I'm sad that it's not on the Switch. But I do bring the Switch traveling. Um, I haven't I actually brought it with the intention of playing. I really actually wanted to play Hades finally.
3: Oh, Hades is great.
2: I really wanted to. Uh, did not. Oh,
3: you. Have, oh, oh, you, you haven't, haven't played, played Hades? Hades. Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey. gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Got enough on that. Uh, but I, I did download uh, Mario Golf because that just came out, and I'm excited to get into that uh, on great. the flight home.
3: So let me ask you a question about the Switch because mm. I have only taken it traveling once. Uh. But But uh, here's a question for you. So. I didn't find the switch super portable. And I know that sounds dumb, but for me, like we were talking about the 3DS, that to me was the perfect size. Mm-hmm. And the switch is kind of a little too wide. Like, cause I it's kind of so I also took it on uh that's not that's not true. I took it traveling on a trip, but I also took it on tour when I went on tour with Conan, uh, and we did the stand-up tour. Right, right, right. And uh Cause so we could all play Mario Kart and stuff. And that was a little bit better because we took it, we took the joy cons off and we're playing multiplayer. Uh, And so we were using the switch as a little screen, but playing the actual switch on a plane by itself. I didn't find it that great. You know, like, what do you think?
2: I think that you hit the nail on the head with the 3DS being way more intuitive for that. It does feel like an old flip cell phone or something. You can just slam it shut and shove it into a bag and it's fine. But with the Switch, I feel like I'm so afraid of damaging that screen. And then also because the little little joysticks stick out. And yes. so I, I've had the rubber part come off and I've had like issues with the joystick. So I, I totally, totally agree that it 100%. does not feel nearly as portable, but I will take that risk to have the bigger screen compared
3: to the 3DS. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. But here's my question though, because so Xbox has this xCloud thing you can play on your phone, right? And to your point, that's exactly how I feel about the Switch. It's not that portable. It's kind of fragile. The touchscreen, the, the knobs sticking out, you need a case for it. It's kind of big. I don't feel comfortable traveling with it. And the last couple trips I took before the pandemic, I didn't bring it.
2: That's fair. So I guess on the point of the uh, like using your phone with a controller, the one thing that I can see would really, really suck about that is if I'm traveling – I do everything to preserve the battery of my phone. Ah. Because that that is my lifeline, you know? I'm spending so much time on, like, Twitter and just dicking around on Instagram and, like, refreshing the same three apps. Uh, But it's, yeah, that is, like, my lifeline. If that dies, like, I'm kind of fucked. So, (laughs) you know, I want to be able to preserve that. And if I'm gaming, I'm just going to drain the battery. So, I don't, like, what's your thoughts?
3: I think my thoughts are we got to start gaming just on our burner phones that we use for all of our drug deals. So that's <laughs> oh, the thing. So our main so phones. Yeah, see, there you go. Our main phones are used. Lifeblood, don't waste the battery. Burner phones, mm-hmm. you know, for all of our, our uh, you know, our our shady, um, you know, shadow emp- business empires we're building where they can't mm-hmm. catch us. Um, that's what we got to use for our gaming. I think I that's the
1: key.
2: finally do something with my old BlackBerry.
3: There we, go. <laughs> there, we, there we go perfect
2: I can sell drugs and play uh, play Splinter Cell that's great
3: nailed it what a life what a life we lead well uh, have fun in Barcelona and have a safe Thanks. trip back preserve Thanks. that lifeblood and um, guys that's gonna do it for this week of course if you have any questions comments concerns uh, thoughts about uh, how you travel with games uh, any best any favorite 3DS games or anything else tweet at us at Good Game Nice Try on Twitter, or use the hashtag GGNT. We can even prescribe you a game. You feeling sad? We'll get you a game to make you happy, or more sad if you wallow in your sadness like I do. <laughs> uh, but that's gonna do it for this week. We'll see you all next time.
2: Good Game Nice Try is produced by Jen Samples and Nick Leo. Our executive producers are Joanna Salitarov, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Beckton, with engineering and sound design by Chester Gwazda. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. Special thanks to Sean Doherty and music by John Danik.
3: Danik, 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 Danik.
2: This has
1: been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places?